welcome to Your Career Podcast. If you're looking for inspiration in your career or job search, you're at the right place. I'm Jane Jackson, your career management coach and author of Navigating Career Crossroads. For more career advice and support, go to janejacksoncoach.com and find all you need to create the career of your dreams. Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast to inspire you to take your career to the next level. In this podcast, I chat with amazing professionals who are leaders in their field and find out what's made them a success. Many of them have successfully made changes in their careers. They may have changed industry, changed job function, made big city or country moves, or taken the huge leap into entrepreneurship. I also share practical and actionable career tips for those who want to explore what to do next in their career and aren't sure about what steps to take to get moving. Subscribe to this podcast for regular updates or visit me at janejacksoncoach.com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas introducing Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that will inspire you to take control of your career and your life. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, career management coach and author of Navigating Career Crossroads. Be prepared to ignite. Well, hello and welcome back to my careers podcast. For those of you thinking of entrepreneurship and doing business with suppliers in China, I have a treat for you. My guest today is Carsten Primdel. He's the founder of Vantage Compliance and Mitigation, an offshore supply chain consultancy that specializes in assisting businesses from Europe, USA, Japan, Australia, and elsewhere in risk mitigation and compliance regarding their Chinese supply chain operations. Now, Carsten holds a Master of Science in Economics and International Business from Copenhagen Business School. And in 2002, he was awarded a 120,000 euro scholarship by the European Union to participate in the 18-month full immersion executive training program in Japan. Wow, that's, that's impressive. And during the last 15 years, he's been working with and in Asia in corporate compliance, supply chain and risk mitigation professional services. Carsten has developed a really strong perspective and understanding of the challenges faced by companies dealing with and in China and Asia. And since establishing his own business in 2007, he has assisted global brands such as Aldi Supermarkets and Lint Chocolate with their supply chain issues in China. And in addition, he has successfully delivered projects in Hong Kong, Japan, India, Bangladesh, Thailand, Cambodia, Malaysia, Spain and Denmark. He's a busy man and Carsten's first book called Red Flag, Your Guide to Risk Management When Buying in China is currently in the final stage for printing. So I can't wait to, to get my hands on that book as well. And I'd like to welcome Carsten. How are you today? Very well, Jane. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's I'm great to have you on to the be, show. I'm very to be on here. Thank you. Okay, so well, let, let's just kick off with finding out a little bit about you, Carsten. So before we go into what Vantage Compliance is all about, let's find out about your career path. So wh where are you from? Sure. Tell me about your early days. Well, I'm, I'm, I was born in Denmark and I grew up the, the majority part of my early days, teenage years in, in Denmark in a little town called Elsinore, uh, which is also the same city where Hamlet takes place. Ah. Um, 
so well um, about my sort of early years my formative years uh, I don't remember that much actually mm -hmm. apart from sort of running around uh, being curious and from time to time getting into trouble for being a bit too adventurous <laughs> um, making hideouts and that kind of stuff in the local forest playing police and robbers and and um, well I was always the policeman or in some cases, Robin Hood even. Ah, <laughs> so, okay. Sounds like uh, a fun, fun, very happy childhood. Yeah, it was. It mm. was. Mm. No, now, no many sorrows. So, And what about many. in your teenage years? So once you got a little bit older and you started thinking what you wanted to be when you grew up, what, what were the dreams in, say, when you were like 17, 18 <laughs> years old? Well, uh, my, my dream changed a little bit uh, when I was uh, 17, 18 years old um, because I had a very uh, life-changing experience. I was an exchange student in Australia at that time, uh, which was uh, kind of my first experience overseas. And uh, it, I, I usually say that I was sort of bitten by the travel bug uh, when I came here. When I got home, I couldn't stop raving about what happened while I was overseas and and uh, and basically, I wanted to to work internationally after that. So it kind of changed the the, the dreams that I had before. Because um, actually, when I was a child, I wanted to be a policeman like my granddad. Mm. Um, so yeah. yeah. Um, uh, later on, then I started studying business uh, at the Copenhagen Business School, and um, I realized that I needed to fulfill certain. Uh, requirements in order to actually get that international career that I was dreaming about. So, uh, yeah, so I got into Copenhagen Business School and um, uh, followed sort of the, the path there. Mm -hmm. um, I had a fair bit of uh, parental guidance. My dad was a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers and uh, he thought that I had a knack for details and numbers and all that. So he actually wanted me to specialize in accounting, but I didn't want to have anything of that. <laughs> so, so instead, I, I I got into international business for my master's degree, and and I managed to uh, get exchange semesters in California and in Singapore, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, sort of started moving me in that direction. Yeah, actually, it's amazing. Once you start traveling, and you open your eyes to so many different things, and and you think, oh, okay, well, what can I do so that I can actually have an international career? Um, so many things can change, and it sounds like you've got a really good, solid grounding with your with your qualifications in international business and and being in so many different countries. So once you graduated, mm -hmm. how did your career begin? Oh, my first job was at a multinational American oil company, and uh, it was in Copenhagen. And basically, they were looking for somebody to be the assistant uh, to the managing director and and do some uh, numbers modeling. Uh, we were developing an uh, an offshore uh, production facility in the North Sea, and uh, when I started in that business, there was fifteen staff members, and within the next twelve months, we were one hundred and thirty five. Uh, so we were growing really fast. It was a eight hundred and fifty million dollar investment, and they put me in charge of the financial modeling. So I mean, I had to pull in data from all the different departments: the geologists, the geophysicists, the petrochemists. Um, the, engineers building it and everything and put that into a, a spreadsheet that um, we had a fairly complicated uh, model um, which was uh, good because actually when I got that job I thought my god how am I going to do this I, I, I'm not good with numbers despite what my old man told me uh, I thought I was not good with numbers so basically they put me in charge of it and um, well, I never received any sort of negative feedback on it. So I think I managed to do all right. And I realized in the process that I probably wasn't that bad with numbers after all. 
<laughs> so, it, it was your own self-limiting belief. There's nothing like being thrown in the deep end and actually probably. being able to do something. It must have been a, a pleasant surprise. Exactly. No, it was. It was really a very, a very good experience for me that uh, sort of opened up my eyes that I can do pretty much whatever I set my mind to. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, and then basically move forward from there that uh, this company being a U.S. Uh, multinational, they had a European headquarters in London and they always kept talking about whether they should try to find me a placement in London or maybe even New York, but there's some visa issues that made it a bit more difficult. So London was probably the more um, uh, obvious place. But I had, um, at that time, I actually didn't fancy London that much. Uh, I don't know why, but I wasn't terribly keen on it. And I had a girlfriend from Barcelona at that time in Spain. Mm -hmm. And uh, that seemed much more attractive to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I decided I wanted to live in Barcelona, speaking not a word of Spanish. Um, so basically, I quit the job after. Um, well, we, we, we took the project online or on stream. So after we started producing oil, uh, I quit and um, and I moved to Barcelona and uh, started, you know, from scratch um, in a new city and learning a new language and uh, it was a it was a fantastic time. Really, mm -hmm. really so, enjoyed it. So, how how did you um, secure a new role in Barcelona and what were you doing? Well, I mean, the, obviously, knowing a language is a big issue in in most places around the world and English is uh, is not the first language in most European countries unfortunately but uh, but basically I, I did the hard yards I started out um, going to language school for five months and I picked up to a certain level and then I started applying for jobs and I guess I was lucky um, I mean the economic situation was good at that time it was uh, year 2000 2001 end of 2000 so things were pretty good uh, so there, there were a fair few jobs around, and um, I just managed to see an advert for a company that was doing automotive de development. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> basically, an engineering or type approval company that was uh, growing. And um, Barcelona has a lot of automotive industry, so they kind of grew out of a local industry, and then they were targeting uh, customers overseas, and they wanted to target Volvo cars mm -hmm. and uh, Saab. Back then, Saab still existed, and mm -hmm. uh, and they wanted a Scandinavian person to to be able to travel there and and talk to these companies. Mm -hmm. So they hired me, and um, well, I mean, I started out at a sort of a starting salary again, even though actually I already had some experience, but it didn't really matter because the job was interesting. So. Um, yeah, then basically the Scandinavian market still was a little bit too small. It was a target market, but it was still a little bit too small. Mm -hmm. So they also put me in charge of uh, the Asian uh, car manufacturers. So I got to travel quite extensively to Japan, uh, dealing with Toyota and some of the other Japanese car companies mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and other places, India, Malaysia, uh, China, uh, basically anywhere where they had some sort of car manufacturing or wanted to set up some sort of car manufacturing uh, our services uh, were we were trying to to get our services out there so so that was my job as a salesperson mm -hmm. um, to to build up the relationships and and get us in front of these companies so we could actually participate in the tenders 
Now, so this would have been a fab fabulous way for you to expand your network with all of the manufacturers and the parts suppliers in different areas. So yes. I'm seeing how this is laying the foundations for your current role. Exactly. So, so you're working for this company based in Barcelona, traveling all over the world. And so now we fast forward a few more years. Mm -hmm. And what prompted you to get out of employment with a company that was enabling you to travel the world, which is what your dream was, into starting your own business? Um, well, I, look, my, my entire family is working as independents or partners in businesses or whatever. So it's kind of come as part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something for myself. Um, but actually, it, 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 well, it's a difficult uh, to pinpoint exactly when it happened. I, 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 my last job was for a Japanese company, and uh, we did quite well. I set up a business in Denmark, and um, after having spent two and a half years in Japan, and, and basically... Uh, things were going really well. Um, I knew I wanted to do something on my, for myself. I wasn't terribly happy that I had to move back to Denmark, mm -hmm. uh, even though that's where my mom and, and sister and uh, other family and friends were living. Um, so I was looking for opportunities to get back into Asia. And um, we, we weren't quite agreeing on how to move forward on that business uh, I'd set up a business plan and we had some plans on how the business was supposed to develop, but uh, uh, they sort of jumped ship uh, at that stage. And I thought, okay, well, look, if, if it's not going the way I really want it to go, then I might as well try to have my own influence on things. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, I actually had experienced some issues with uh, too much work in front of a laptop. My neck was uh, constantly painful. I had to see the osteopath and... And basically told me, look, you're sitting, you're too stationary. You're, mm. you're doing too much work in front of the computer. You, you need to get out there. So I thought, what can I do? So I decided to become a factory auditor. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, I've seen lots of factories at that stage already, but I didn't really know what to look for in terms of you know, compliance. And well, I knew something. I had ideas, but uh, I, I didn't know the sort of the frameworks that I needed to apply. So so I took a, a training and, um, and well, that uh, led me in the direction of... I already decided to set up for myself, but but that training actually got me into contact with a guy who had a project in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, four months after the training, he called me and he said, look, we had another guy to do this project. I know that you're doing some things in China and uh, we're just thinking whether you could do this for us. I said, great, of course. <laughs> so, and it was a really good project because we, we had to employ six people from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky. Um, oh. A lot of businesses struggle to to you know to get that foothold in the market, but uh, I kind of got that foothold from the beginning. Yeah, it sounds like just right place, right time, it and because of a sore was. neck. So now this is why you got into entrepreneurship, Carsten. You had a exactly, sore neck. Exactly. I needed to get away from the computer. What can I do that will get me out and about? You retrained. And while going and, you know, auditing the factories, you were meeting more people. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity almost fell into your lap. Yes. It's funny Pretty how much. things happen, isn't it? it Sometimes is. when all the stars align and it's, it's, it's like a sequence of events. Once one thing happens and another thing happens and then all of a sudden, hey, I might have a viable business here. It, 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 exactly. 
That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I can't say that I had everything laid out and mapped out from the beginning, but mm. it sort of started moving down a certain path, and I saw that what I could see as an appealing uh, path forward for me, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it just happened. <laughs> so. And so, and so now, is, is that business then is is that the same as this business now, Vantage Compliance, or has it somehow grown and developed and become something a little bit different? Yeah, that business in China now. I live in Australia, obviously, and yeah. um, and it's a uh, it's a bit more difficult for me to go out and do factory visits these mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. and not that I wouldn't. Do it, but mm. uh, it, it normally is part of bigger projects. If mm. if if I would do that, yeah. um, but um, here in Australia, what I try to do is uh, more sort of a, a due diligence service, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it is my uh, experience that companies don't know that they have a problem with their supplies until they, the shit really hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse my language, um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it hits the fan a lot. That's the problem when it, you're dealing with suppliers overseas. It, it does. That's mm. exactly it. And uh, well, there's many ways and there's many expensive ways of uh, of securing yourself. But mm-hmm. taking the right steps from the beginning can be paramount to actually not having to spend that much money later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, I, I yeah, I help companies verify researching their suppliers to make sure that they are who they say they are yeah and so and so who would your market be do you work with um small startup businesses or well-established businesses or just everyone in between whoever's thinking of um getting supplies from china or other places in the world i I work with uh with Smaller and startups, um, the bigger companies uh, tend not to be my clients in this business. Uh-huh. They were in previous businesses, uh, in my previous uh, setup in, in, uh, in China. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, the thing is that the bigger companies normally have their own setup in Hong Kong or Shanghai. Mm. And uh, and for that reason, they don't really need this kind of service. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do, having been part of that uh, world with how the big companies do things, I'm trying to take that experience mm-hmm. and share it with the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. So you could say basically try to professionalize them uh, because the big companies, they know how to protect themselves in this mm-hmm. and things still happen. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas smaller companies don't often put you know the priority to it. And that means that they end up uh, they might end up having a huge problem yeah. on their hands. Yeah, I have I have some friends who who've started up their their own businesses, and um, they were going either into India or into China and supply mm-hmm. uh, finding suppliers. And the quality control was the difficult thing. Yes. They could find something that was great to start off with, but then over time, um, they would have to keep going back to maintain that quality control. Otherwise. Um, the suppliers would get a little bit complacent, and then the the suppliers would you know, the quality would go down. And I, I've actually experienced that myself because I have a sideline business called the Passion for Pearls. Yes. So I import freshwater cultured pearls, and a lot of it is finished jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I like to go to the the expos, jewelry expos. And actually, when I started off, it was so much legwork because I went to China. I was in Shenzhen and in Hong Kong, and I was basically pounding the pavements, knocking on doors, visiting, you know, the, the manufacturers and the suppliers. Right. And it was it was so difficult to know who to trust and who, who you know, was, yes. was trying to pull the wool over my eyes. And um, I had a couple of suppliers who they were great initially, 
but um, ended up oh, just very, very disappointing. And what would turn up just wasn't the right quality. And yes. I just realized what I had to do is to, to go off to the, some of those jewelry expos and meet lots and lots of them and then go and visit the factories and see how they actually did it. And then the other thing is, do they work ethically as well? Yes, uh, Because that, that's, that's such a big deal because you don't want to get products from a sweatshop. But no. I, I just found it was so much work. It, it took me about a year just to find some really good suppliers. But I, I guess if I'd known you then, Carsten, you would have been able to guide me in the right direction. I, I could have probably helped you a little bit, yes. Yeah. I, I think so. Um, yeah. It's a... Uh... Yeah, obviously it's. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. I, I yeah. can help a fair bit. I mean, I, I quite often have companies come in and say, "Look, can can you just give us access to to your database of mm. of suppliers, or can you just pick one from your database?" Mm. And say, so in some cases, I can't really do that mm. because, as you said, somebody else has spent a lot of effort mm. in building up that uh, trust and that base. Mm. Uh, so, just sort of giving it away to somebody else, it it either you know it either has a price or. Or and that price might be that if I do that, I might lose that customer. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, oh my God! Right. You're starting. You're giving away our details. Details. Yeah. It's strategic knowledge yeah. uh, for most companies. Yeah. So yeah, it is. It is hard work to develop a supplier base mm-hmm. that you can trust. And it's not just a question of saying, okay, now I'm there. Now I can take a step back and relax. No, no, it's a constant effort. Yeah, yeah. You've got to always develop that relationship <clears throat> with the suppliers as well. Absolutely. So, so Carsten, tell me exactly. How do you help the, the small businesses? Uh, t- take me through a typical um, day or a typical week if you are assisting a business who has approached you. Right. Well, um, essentially, we need to get the details of the, of the supplier that the, this business wants to verify. Right? So we, will, well, we have an online form where people can upload these things. Or if they don't have these documents available, we have some templates that they can send out to the suppliers. Uh, to request the information. I mean, they all have the information, but then it's been translated into English because Mm -hmm. that's what the supplier think they want. But translation is not 100% accurate Mm -hmm. and it's difficult to verify. So so basically we need the the real documents and then we'll basically start doing our research. And that's online, making phone calls uh, to the the factories um, and uh, and verifying, triangulating that the document is actually truthful, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll create a report uh, that says either yes or no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you don't want to go through the whole uh, process if you're in the selection stage of of, uh, of selecting a new supplier. But you want to have certain indicators. Uh, if you have a long list uh, that you found on on the web or on Alibaba or whatever. And then you have a long list that you can sort of narrow down. And then once you narrow it down, you do a more comprehensive search. Mm-hmm. Then once you actually decided who you want to work with, then it's advisable to make a visit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so basically we, we, we deal with a lot of information, emails coming in, uh, document uploads and, and verify things and produce reports out to to companies as a sort of an independent third party. Mm-hmm. And then we help them set up um, with, their, with their suppliers. So if, if we are to do, say, a factory audit, uh, usually that works in the way that we arrive at the factory in the morning, uh, do an opening meeting, let the factory know what we're there to, to audit or what we're there to review. Um, and then we do a tour of the factory and make photos and you know, secure the, the documentation, the evidence. And then we do document reviews 
on site at the factory if, if, for example, it's a social compliance issue, preventing sweat, sweatshop workers. Mm-hmm. We need to review the salary documentation. Um, but quite often the documents are, um, you know, they're not entirely truthful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they have <laughs> okay. a tendency to keep several different versions of records. Uh, yeah. So you need you need to triangulate that as well. And, I mean, one way you can triangulate that is to say, look, I mean, the, the, the working hour sheet says that you have no overtime and you're not working on the weekends. Okay, let's go and see in your warehouse. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, goods in receipts on a Saturday or a Sunday? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, if there's goods in on a day that uh, no worker has recorded working, then obviously there's something going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, you can always find these little uh, things here and there that uh, that sort of shows you what's what's going on what's the real situation yeah and that's where uh, any business who doesn't know well, they just don't know what they don't know but the good thing with you is is that you know what to look out for and what to check yes and um because <laughs> i mean and and you also you do you speak mandarin Karsten? i speak a little bit yeah not as much as i would like to but uh-huh. uh, i i have good help a good translator there well it's important to know a little bit anyway but at least you understand the culture and and you know where the pitfalls would be so i mean that's that's just really valuable um insights that you're able to provide uh anyone going into business and looking for good suppliers yes yes yeah and when you say the language thing i mean it's uh some people are more modest and I'm brought up with it unless i'm perfect i'll Mm -hmm. say that i don't um and and essentially uh, i some people would probably say that they speak Mandarin with my level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel confident saying that I speak Mandarin. I can I can make myself understood and uh, in in certain situations. And I've also managed to impress my father-in-law on, uh-huh. on the odd occasion. My parent parents-in-law they don't speak English. Yeah. Uh, so your parents-in-law are uh, Chinese. 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 Yes. Ah, okay. So so that's good. So you've definitely got that China connection there too. Yes, I do, and yeah. and uh, basically, well, uh, I recall once I, it sounded like it was raining. We were at their place, and and it sounded like it was raining. And then uh, my father-in-law has this routine that he goes for a walk after dinner every night, and uh, to do some exercise. And uh, he came back up, and and uh, I asked him in Mandarin, "Is it raining outside?" Yeah. And he looked at me like, "Wow." A foreigner can speak. <laughs> so, my uh, daughter married the right man. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to to improve, but I mean, it's difficult if you're not mm-hmm. using it on a daily basis, right? Yeah, that's right. But, um, but, but I'm sure you'll you'll pick up more as the time goes on, especially when your children start to grow up. And right. so, and so, Carsten, as an entrepreneur, um, and running your own business, what would you say are the main challenges that you experience running your own business? I think that uh, for the business that I do, it is difficult to get it across that companies need to handle this because they don't know they have a problem until they have the problem. Mm. Uh, so for some companies, or in many cases, it seems like an unnecessary expense. Mm-hmm. We'll solve it once it's there, but really that's... Uh, that, that is an expensive uh, way to, to go about it. It's not very expensive to, to ensure that you have document compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's a major thing, getting it out there, getting it noticed. Um, so I'd say that's, that's probably the, 
the main thing, yeah. So really marketing your business in such a way that people understand how important the services that you provide. Yes. Yeah, because so many people, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And, exactly. um, and for example, for me, I just went, went into my, my um, online mm. jewellery business like a bull in a china shop and thought, I can do this, I'll set it all up. And then you know, mm. off I went, look for suppliers. I mean, luckily, I, I, I lucked out and I found two really good suppliers. But if all of them were the, like the bad ones that I found, I would have been so despondent and probably would have given up on the business in the end. Right. Do, you, do you have um, a good success story? to share of someone who'd had a bad experience before and you were able to turn it around for them? I, I do, actually. And uh, um, it's a small trailer. And uh, I mean, she's basically just working on herself with her, with her husband. And uh, it's a kind of a slightly different uh, spin to the story. But she, she'd uh, had her supplier, uh, the, the supplier had their email hacked. Oh. And uh, the the hacker had uh, basically, you know, downloaded the whole history of uh, all the, the communication threads. So mm. they've been studying everything that had been going on, and and even some of the mm. personal details that had been exchanged. So they were able to pass off as being the supplier, and uh, they changed the email address a couple of times, and. Uh, uh, they ended up saying, okay, your order is ready for shipment. Uh, please pay the remaining 50%. Then they gave a new oh. bank account number. Oh, no. And, and uh, it's not unusual to change bank accounts mm. in China. I mean, you, you ask for the money where you need it. Um, so nothing strange about it. But uh, what happened was that because it had been hacked, um, the money went to an account that wasn't the factories. Mm -hmm. And um, and basically, they had this relationship for about nine years, uh, ongoing, not no major issues. Uh, been a, a decent working relationship, and uh, you know they, they were using a generic email address. And all of a sudden, they, they'd always communicate with a guy called Frank. And all of a sudden, they didn't really realize whether Frank was a real person or not, whether he was complicit in the whole thing, and whether they just sort of wanted thought that it was too difficult to service this as a small client and all that. Uh, so, yeah, basically they lost uh, thousands of dollars on this mm -hmm. and uh, they were pretty much ready to walk away from, from their uh, supplier. So basically what we did was that we went in and we reestablished communication. We made phone calls. They, they couldn't speak on the phone because Frank didn't, doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. He can write and read, but he can't speak. And uh, Meg on the other side, she's, um, she doesn't speak any Chinese. Mm -hmm. So so we reestablished re the communication very that Frank is actually a real person. We verified all the details for the factory. Uh, we verified their, uh, you know, the bank account details, and we advised saying, look, um, they're willing to continue working with you, or they would like to continue working with you. They are, in fact, real people behind this. Uh, don't worry. And uh, we got a new email set up with, uh, you know, two point verification so that it can't be hacked again. Mm -hmm. um, and and the relationship is uh, back on track, and they just received their container. Um, with the uh, with product, so oh. six months late, mm -hmm. but um, well, because of all this that happened, yeah. So so say they had tried to find other suppliers before, but they hadn't really found anybody that fitted their their needs. Mm -hmm. So so it, it was quite important for them to get back on track with this supplier, yeah. uh, oh, and, and we helped them. We helped them do that.
Oh, thank goodness they were able to turn oh. to you and you were able to do all that investigation for them and make recommendations exactly. as to how to turn it around. Yeah, just but being sort of a set of outside eyes on, on things that uh, and, and, and knowing what to look for. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Thank God for Vantage Compliance. <laughs> thank you, yes. <laughs> so tell me, what would your top three tips for success as an entrepreneur be? Um, I think that... As an entrepreneur, you need to um, have the resilience to continue because things are not great all the time. Mm. I mean, overall, for me, since 2007, they've been pretty good, um, but there has been ups and downs, and you need to be able to push through those. So resilience. Mm. Um, I also think that the, what really matters is getting started. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help you to sit back and think that everything has to be perfect before going public. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you need to have an idea about what it is you want to do, but um, all the nitty-gritty details can be worked out later. And it's a big motivator mm-hmm. once somebody's actually willing to buy your product yeah. to get it done. Um, and, um, yeah, so so being pragmatic and, um, um, of course, uh, it, it helps to, to get it out there, build your profile, mm-hmm. uh, start blogging or... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, make sure you have a profile online that sort of corresponds with who you say you are on yeah. LinkedIn, for example. Yeah, and so people can find you. So yes. you need to be resilient. You need to just get started and do it and get stuck in and don't don't aim, don't try and be a perfectionist thinking, you know, okay, I won't launch until actually every, every little thing is, right. is organized. Because sometimes otherwise you'd never get started, would you? Exactly. Um, and then the third thing is to build your profile, get online, be found, become an expert or be perceived as an expert in your area exactly yeah. i mean it's really hard to it's, it's really hard to be um, to be found if you if you're not findable <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. and it's hard work to go yeah. out there knocking on all the doors so i mean yeah. ideally in the beginning probably you need to do that but uh, but over time you'd want that sort of flow of people coming to you yeah you've got to be googleable so yes. if we were going to google to find you mm-hmm. what would we put in would we put uh, China suppliers advisory or, or what, uh, what would the search terms be? Factory verification mm-hmm. or business verification. Yeah. Uh, that would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, look, I have 60 keywords that I'm using. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, well, let, let me just tell everybody where they can find you. What's, yes. your, what's your website? It's a Vantage, like in Vantage Point, mm-hmm. VantageCompliance.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my website, and um, yeah. And and how do people work with you? Do do they um, do you meet with them? Do you do you have like uh, several weeks or, or months consulting together, or do you have like one off meetings, or do you do it remotely? If, if someone wanted Carsten and Vantage Compliance, what what do they need to do? Uh, they they need to get in touch with me, and that can be either by email or or call me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my phone number is on the website as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and what's your email, Carsten? My email is Carsten, C-A-R-S-T-E-N, mm-hmm. at vantagecompliance.com. Okay. Um, and, yeah. And also, tell me about your book, Red Flag, Your Guide to Risk Management When right. in China. When is that coming it's, out? Yeah, oh, it's a long process. <laughs> it's been seven months since I handed in the draft to my editor and and the layout and all that, but it's finally coming together now. Uh-huh. Um, I am, 
according to my layout, we will have the artwork ready for print by the end of August. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I should probably print it in China, mm -hmm. uh, being a China supply chain consultant. <laughs> <laughs> I, was that, I was actually going to ask you, I was going to say, you have this printed in Australia or in China? And I would think it makes more sense to have it printed in China. So. <laughs> I, I do too. Um, and, and there's a huge price difference. Uh -huh. um, the thing is that if I print it in China, it's going to take another 12 weeks before I have a physical copy in my hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really would like to start leveraging on the book mm -hmm. uh, as soon as possible. So mm -hmm. I might print a small run here in Australia first and then, uh, you know, order a bigger run uh, overseas or maybe airship, uh, air freight, some of the, some copies over, uh, from overseas um, so that I can get my hands on it earlier. Yeah. And it's and it's been yeah, a year and a half since uh, since I really started working on it. So it's about time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really valuable resource. And I love the name Red Flag. You actually had a different name in the I early did. days, didn't you? Wasn't it Shanghai or something? The, the original title was yeah. Shanghai, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I like this red flag because, well, it makes sense because it's China. But then also, you know, hey, you know, just, just be careful with regard to risk management um, as well because you've got to be exactly so it. careful. Great and title. Really like it. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So Carsten's business is Vantage Compliance and you can find Carsten at VantageCompliance.com. You can reach Carsten at Carsten at VantageCompliance.com. His book that's coming out is called Red Flag, Your Guide to Risk Management When Buying in China. And I will also have all of this information on my website at janejacksoncoach.com with the show notes so that if you want to just click straight through and get to Carsten's business, you'll be able to. So, Carsten, do you have any final words for me? It's been so good talking to you. I'll be happy to give away some free copies of my book as well. But, I mean, obviously, if there's a, a note section on your on your website, uh -huh. you yeah. will figure out where to go and, and register for that, then... Um, there's, uh, let's say, five copies of my book to so the first people who will register. Okay. Five copies of Carsten's book will be available for the first five people who email me at jane at janejacksoncoach.com. That will also be in the show notes. So look out for it in my um, podcast section on my website. So lovely. It's such a pleasure talking with you, Carsten. I've learned a lot. It's really good hearing about your early days as well. And I think that you should brush up on your Mandarin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I must say, share, share to you, because I'm half Chinese myself. I speak Cantonese, though. So it's Mgoi Sai in Cantonese. Right. Um, my Mandarin, I find Mandarin's very Mgoi, difficult yeah. to learn. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> share, share is the, is the Mandarin, right? Yeah. So, so thank you so much, Carsten. And I look forward to speaking with you again with some more stories of um, the people that you've helped, you know, in a few months' time. And also when your book comes out, let, let's have another chat and we'll talk all about the book. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Lovely. Thanks a lot, Jane. Thank you, Carsten. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. Thanks 
for joining me today. For affordable career help, please check out my career success program. I provide a unique blend of online and live career coaching to help you take control of every aspect of your career or career change. If you aren't where where you want to be in your career, let's talk. Check it out at thecareersacademy.online. The links are in my show notes. 